Everybody, welcome to Playmakers Perspective, where our goal is to give women, football players, and others involved in the game an outlet to share their thoughts on the NFL through their unique perspective as players and women around football. Live the game, talk the game, elevate the game. We are pumped to be here. I'm Katie Falkowski with my co-host, Faith Morrow. I'm happy to be here. And we have a special guest. Also known as GI. I feel like I don't even think I knew your name for years before I <laughs> realized it wasn't actually GI. So <laughs> welcome Deanna Walsh. Yes. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you. Great to be here. All right. Well, we're super excited to have you on tonight. And we're going to start just kind of getting to know you a little bit. Pretty easy if you could tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, how long you've played football, and anything else you think we'd like to know. Yeah. So, uh, Deanna Walsh, also known as GI Jane, GI, and the variations, you know, kind of of that, that only my teammates are allowed to come up with, with my approval. But uh, so I've been playing for 12 years, actually. Uh, most people think it's like five or six, just like how I act on the team, I guess. I act pretty young for my age. But uh, fun fact, I've also been in the Army for 12 years. So as long as I've been in the Army National Guard, I've been playing football. Um, let's see. I have six championships. Uh, no big deal. Yeah, just casual. Like <laughs> 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 Katie's the one with the muscles, not me. Um, <laughs> let's see. Yeah. Most I love it. Me. So when did your love of football start? So I was actually a hockey lover at first. Um, played hockey since I was like a young tyke. Um, I know you were as well. But when, I've always played football. Time, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I always played like football with the guys like at recess and like high school and even younger than that, like elementary school. Um, my dad kind of like, you know, was a big football plan, uh, fan. <laughs> Uh, watched Patriots all through the terrible years, all through the good years. Now back to the these years. Uh, but yeah, whatever we're know. calling these years, yes. Yeah. Years. <laughs> so, um, kind of like when I came home from basic training from the armies, when I kind of got back into football. Um, well, got into football. Period. I played a little in high school, my senior year. Um, got my toes wet and. Yeah, when I came home from basic, my mom's like, you're here too much. Go find something to do. <laughs> so, um, and then I found the predecessor, you know, the boss of militia and never looked back. So, yeah. Love it. Um, so you once dreamed of being an Olympic hockey player. Um, do you see any similarities between your hockey uh, playing days and football? And then just how did you experience playing hockey? Like, how did that help you with your football career? So, as a hockey player, I played all positions except for goalie, basically. So, like, I have loved, like, the offensive mindset of it, um, kind of combated my ADHD well. Um, but I found myself in the penalty box a lot, um, believe it or not. No. So. No way. <laughs> me, why me? <laughs> um, yeah, so, naturally, when I went to football, um, 
and I watched like the first practice really I was like I want to be the people hitting not the one getting hit um (laughs) seems like it's more fun that way so yeah kind of like stuck with that and it led me to linebacker so which I love um but yeah always been hitting people like yeah (laughs) (laughs) so I always thought you'd be great at linebacker Katie to be completely honest no, see, I've always played offense. So in my head, like that was like, when I started, I was like, I'll play any position, like wherever the coaches see fit. And of course, I still feel like that. But I was just yeah. like, I'm just so much more drawn to like the offensive side of hockey, of football, of everything. Yeah. So we're why. destined to be arch, arch enemies. I'll, I guess, I'll stay on the sidelines. Yes. <laughs> Recording it all. Fair. Uh, Gia, you you said you started playing football, I believe, with the Boston Militia, right, in 2013? Yes. Is that correct? Yeah. Yes. Um, how have you seen women's football in Boston grow and evolve? And do you have any thoughts on what you think football will look like in the future in Boston? Um, <laughs> so I don't think it'll ever go anywhere. Like, if you cannot get to where we are, a, me as, like, just a fan of the game and, like, I love growing our league. I will help anybody that wants to help to get to where we are. And, but honestly, like, if you can't get there, like, I don't even want to play. You know, like, we've excelled for so many years and it just has, like, had this trickle-down effect from when I was a rookie. There was just such a high standard. Like, this is what we expect of you. This is what you need to compete at. And, like, we don't accept anything less than that. So even after, I don't even like consider myself like, a like, yes, I'm obviously a veteran, but like, I still feel like I have like a, 10 years to go. Like I could go forever. Love my that. body might not think that, but I think that, you know, um, <laughs> like I'm not going to stop until my body stops. And even if that means like when it does, I still want to be there to help this tradition of Boston continue. And that's where I, I think we're at the point that we are. And everyone's trying to still play catch up to us. Yes, absolutely. True. Um, I've heard you talk about how much you've improved over the years. And watching you play last year, obviously I haven't seen you for, since the very beginning. But just in my relatively short period of time here, I felt like, and I'm not just saying this, I felt like you had just a standout year last year. And I was very impressed with your level of play. Um, so do you have any advice for rookies or young players who look at veteran players like you are, even if you have another <laughs> 10 years after you've yeah, been playing 12 years, I'd consider you a vet. Uh, do you have any no. advice for rookies who maybe feel like they're just never going to get there? Like they're a few years in and they look at veterans and they're like, they have an understanding of the game and a level of play that maybe I just can't see myself getting to. Do you have any advice for those players as they're kind of more at the beginning of their journey? Yeah, absolutely. Um, Because, like, my first, like, five years were really tough, um, and it was a lot mentally to get through. But I know it's, like, a huge cliche, and everyone says it, but just don't give up. Even, like, if you think this is my last year, like, this year sucked for me personally, physically, on the field, whatever it might be, there's always going to be somebody there that'll pick you up. And if you can get through that, call it, like, a dark mind, set you know um where you're downing yourself push through it keep pushing keep pushing I guarantee you that you're gonna get there um it honestly wasn't even until like I was eight years in and I started to see like the field consistently and seeing my like football IQ even more consistently like on the field 
everyone has their own path and learning process. And that might not be the same as like you, Katie, like watching you on offense, like insane. I'm like, how did she pick this up so quick? And she's so great at it. Um, whereas if I went over to offense, I'm like, I might be quickly put back on defense um, just because I know how complex it is. But, you know, keep pushing, keep pushing, never give up on yourself. I'm a firm believer in that. Yeah, I love that. And I think it's like, I think sometimes it can be really hard and maybe even harder to be the player who's like not seeing the field and having that feeling like, oh, I'm never going to get there. I'm not going to get over that. Absolutely. And to see players who, you know, maybe it, they didn't have it their first year, their second year, or even their third year, but eventually got there, I think is really can be uplifting for somebody who's maybe sitting on this, the sidelines looking in and be like, am I ever going to get to that spot? And it's just like you're saying, like, like consistent showing up, having the right attitude and not being afraid to ask for help and learn and maybe just remember, like, it, it's not going to happen overnight. Absolutely. And like even some people who like they get angry maybe about their playing time, like internally, you know, like they're angry at themselves. Use that as fuel. Turn that around. Like you can be like, why the hell am I not getting on the field? Even if it's like whatever your reasonings might be, but it's causing anger inside of you. Use that as fuel, because that's, like, one of the most, like, I don't know, like, chemical dopamine, all that stuff, right? Uh, it, it just releases that in you, and releases, like, unleashes a different side that, like, will help you push through that barrier that you're facing. I love it. I love it. Switching gears here, talking a little bit about you and being in the uh, Massachusetts Army National Guard. How did you decide to get into that? And then are there any lessons that you learned through that that help you in football or vice versa? Are there lessons that you've learned in football that have helped you uh, with your time in the guard? Absolutely. Honestly, um, <clears throat> I never thought it would be like a blessing and a curse to be playing both or participating in both because I've definitely had my struggles in both. Right. But getting into the army was in an interesting point in my life, uh, turning point, not sure where I wanted to go after high school did a little bit of college. It was just, I'm not that college, you know, uh, person. Found the Army National Guard. I was like, well, A, my mother was happy about it because it wasn't like a full-time, you know, commitment. Um, but once I got into it, it really has sort of become a full-time commitment. I've actually gotten to the rank of sergeant in the Army. Um, maybe maybe promotable to staff sergeant one day. Um, but I think, like, one of the most uh, or the best, like, lesson that I learned probably is just, like, the team atmosphere that it builds because you can never do one thing by yourself. Like, in the military, you have so many different branches within the service. You have so many different job titles in the service within a company itself. Like, you have a combo guy. You could have someone that's really good at map reading. You have somebody that's really good at shooting or PT. But when you form that perfect squad, you guys are like the, one of the most lethal things in the world, right? Which is the U.S. Army. Um, but <laughs> translate over to the football field, you could have someone that is a great pass rusher. You could have somebody who is a great pass blocker. You could have someone who's a great quarterback. You could have someone who's a great safety. When you put all the right pieces into the right spot and you learn how to work together, that's the other thing. It's like everyone comes from such a diverse background where whether they grew up in a different environment that you did or, you know, anything, you just learn how to work together and no matter what the obstacles are, 
you come out on the upside of that, you know? And form the ultimate squad. Yes! <laughs> Built for total domination. I swear this is not an more. advertisement for the Army National Guard. <laughs> no, I was, about, I was talking about the Boston Renegades. <laughs> oh, oh, yeah, you know. I uh, love it, love it. Um, we've been asking everybody this question. It is the name of the podcast. Yes. What does being a playmaker mean to you? So I've thought about this. And we've had so many great responses on your podcast because um, we have so many great teammates. I even looked up the actual definition of a playmaker um, to try to formulate my own thought on this. But by dictionary definition, and this is my ref, you know, um, guesstimate, it's somebody who can uplift others, right, and bring everyone together to towards a common goal. Um, and I feel like that is, A, everyone you've had on our your podcast, everyone on our team. Um, so I would say a playmaker is a team, almost. Like, you, a playmaker, yes, is usually one individual, but they can't also get there without their team, right? So to me, having a great team behind you makes you a great playmaker. Nice. That's a great answer. That was an awesome answer. <laughs> I feel like we've been getting similar ones. Like, you know, there's the same general idea, but way to find something different. Big fan. Um, awesome. We're super excited to have you on the podcast. Talk some week yes. eight. There's so much exciting things to talk about. So I much. literally can't wait. <laughs> um, diving right into questions from Instagram. Oh, boy. Head first into <laughs> questions. Um, we've got a couple specifically for you, GI, but we also have oh. some just week eight stuff. No one ever um, wants to ask me a question. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? Well, I'll, I'll, make sure. <laughs> I'll make sure that we... If I say that, Eric will submit 1,500 questions for you, so maybe I'll say something. I'm just kidding. I want to hear what GI says. That's what we're here for. Um, I want to hear okay, what Okay, so... Wow, this is adorable. <laughs> okay. Um, first question. Um, watching Rodgers drop back and pass, does he come back this season if the Jets make the playoffs? So, obviously, Aaron Rodgers... Uh, had the Achilles injury, but he is making a ridiculously fast comeback at this rate and was dropping back and throwing some passes before the Jets game. Do you think he'll come back for the playoffs? Uh, it wouldn't shock me, to be honest. I like yeah. I, The way that he's progressing, I don't think anybody knows. I think his mindset around it and his level of dedication, like Al talked about, he also has all the resources in the world to get it done. So it wouldn't shock me. I think if anybody can do it right now, somebody with that mindset, with those resources like Aaron Rodgers could potentially do it. I will agree with that. But like also at the same time, can you replicate obviously they're more likely to in their practices, the type of pressure he might see in a game, you know, like, does he want to risk that? Um, like, it's definitely possible because of, like, the resources he has, but I, I'll i be watching carefully. That's all. Yeah. I feel like if the Jets are good enough to get to the playoffs like with Zach Wilson, that also poses the question, like, if Zach Wilson gets them all the way there, then they just, like, pull him to throw Aaron Rodgers in, like, that effect. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, still a few months away, so he has time. Um, 
so I'm going to talk a little bit more about the 49ers later. Obviously, they went 5-0, and and now they went 0-3 in the past three games. Uh, we have a question. Will the 49ers bounce back? That's the question. I'm sh- I'm shocked that they lost three in a row. I think if you had asked most people coming out of the, you know, being five and zero, are they going to lose the next three? They'd say no. I think that they can come back. And as I look at a lot of teams, like all the teams that we talked about at the beginning, have like showed some level of weakness. The Chiefs, the the, the Cowboys, now the Niners, Eagles, like, the Eagles. So I think that they're just as much in it as any of these teams right now. Absolutely, Fair. and I don't know if you guys saw the trade that 49ers acquired Chase Young. So Chase Young, yes, yes. exactly. Great point. It's Stacking like stacking it. They're just they're in there. If you pick up a player like that, you're thinking like, okay, we have a chance to make a run here. They're not just picking them up yeah. for the fun of it at this point in the season. Absolutely. Yeah. See what happens. Um, best player, best. Play by a wide receiver in week eight. AJ Sorry. Brown. Yeah. That yeah. one-handed catch was just that was unreal. That was unreal. <laughs> We're gonna get more into that too later. I, I that was a, that, that was a gimme. Next question. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry. Um was the hit on Devontae Parker illegal or no? I don't know if you guys watched specifically that play or not, but there was a play that was like questionable and Bill was losing his mind on the sidelines. Um I would have, yeah, I would say that that should have been illegal based on, yes. on what we saw, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, we're all in agreement. Yeah. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Moving on, next one. <laughs> um, okay. This one's a funny one. How many sacks slash interceptions would GI have against Mac Jones? How many do we think? Sacks? Hmm. <laughs> uh, I would say maybe two. Interceptions. Okay. We'll go one and a half. I've like seen you working those hands. If it's near you, maybe you're snagging <laughs> that thing. That's all you. I've been trying. I've been trying and practicing a little bit. I know. But, I see you. Go. I see you. I'm gonna go with those. Those are like um, decent numbers. <laughs> those are great numbers. Love it. Fair. Uh, this one's specifically for GI. Who do you think is the best linebacker in the league right now? <laughs> to give a guess. Put you really on the spot, so you could say a favorite. Honestly, you know, it doesn't have to be. Um, yeah, a personal favorite is um, Malcolm Rodriguez on the Detroit Lions. He was a rookie last year, so he's a year two guy. Um, I thought there was like a lot of potential there with him, so it's just as a personal favorite him. But um, I would say Juwan Bentley. Fair. That's a good answer. That's a really good answer. Um, now, a couple fun questions. Um, what Halloween candy would you trade away as a kid? Since it is ha- it is Halloween. Happy Halloween. Uh, yes. Everybody listening, I guess, tomorrow. <laughs> um, what candy would you always trade away as a kid? I like it all, but maybe like licorice or something like that. Mm. Fair. Yeah. Um, I always like the sugary candies, except for anything Reese's. So... <laughs> I'd be giving away, like, the chocolate oh. bars. I'd be like, here's <laughs> a chocolate bar. Give me your Starburst, and we're good. Yeah. Yes. Okay, I love it. Fair. I always trade away, like, the Milk Duds. Sorry to oh, any fans them. for this. Those but... I do like, because I love caramel. All right. But... All right. All right. Um, 
Let's see. Uh, we'll leave one more football-related one. Uh, what happens to Kirk Cousins if he is done in Minnesota? Oh, I love Kirk. I, I just want to say, Faith and I were talking about this. There was a, a picture that came out of him on his little scooter after the game, giving autographs to like kids, Poor and guy. I was just like, "What a guy!" Like, imagine having oh. that day and just still, still being that kind of guy. So, I don't know what's going to happen with him. If you, you know, listen to the guys in the locker room, obviously they all love and respect him so much. Yeah. I have no doubt he's going to handle this like a pro and like a leader and whatever that looks like for him and his family and what makes sense for them. I hope that's what he does. Yeah, we're going to talk more about him because I'm very depressed about it. Um, but those are all the questions from Instagram. Moving on. Um, thank you to everyone who submitted something. Um, very excited to see what's going to come with the rest of this conversation. Katie, and what are we we're doing next? We're going to move into AFC. <laughs> All right. You've been practicing that. I've been practicing. All right. So there are currently four teams with a 6-2 and two record in the AFC. We have the Chiefs, the Dolphins, the Jags, and the Ravens. And I want to give some credit where credit is due, where I feel like maybe I haven't been giving them enough love, and that's the Ravens and the Jags. It's about time I give the Ravens some more love because they are, again, they're 6-2. and two. They just are coming off a 31-24 win over the Cardinals. And their coach, John Harbaugh, said, we weren't really as crisp and sharp as we wanted to be by any stretch, and yet we kept grinding, kept fighting, and found a way to get the job done. And that's what winning teams do, and it seems like the Ravens are heating up, and they're nowhere near satisfied. And to me, that makes a dangerous team, and I think they're going to continue to be dangerous down the stretch as they figure things out, they keep finding ways to win, and they kind of get their offense uh, more and more rolling under Todd Munkin and Lamar Jackson. And then the other team I need to give some more credit to is the Jags. They beat the Steelers 2010. And ETN, I just thought, bald. Uh, he had 79 yards rushing on 24 carries. It was a slippery, rainy day, and he still just uh, kind of took the game under his control. And he even was critical in the passing game. He had a 56-yard touchdown reception in the third quarter. Um, so in that game for the Steelers, again, the Jags came out on top. Tomlin was not happy with the officiating, however, which seemed to be a common theme in a lot of the games over the weekend. He said, what the F is wrong with you all today? Um, and wide receiver Deontay Johnson also echoed those sentiments saying they must have got paid good money today or something. So Steelers weren't happy with the officiating. Jags figured out a way to win, came out on top. There was also some controversy. They were stealing terrible towels from the fans in Pittsburgh and whipping around, which is just disrespectful. But, hey, Oof. that's what they did. So I have a question for you, GI, as far as officiating goes. Yeah. What are your thoughts when you're in a game or watching a game when the officiating is just brutal? And the, uh, it's either missed calls or it seems like it's way skewed one way or the other. Any thoughts on that, GI? Um, or how it makes you feel? Oof. Oh, God. Especially as a defender, uh, it makes my blood boil. But um, when I'm watching it, I, honestly, I think of safety first because, you know, like, say there's a couple of missed calls, like a face mask and stuff, and, like, that can really, like, injure a player. So some depending on the call, like, I think of those first. Um, because, you know, like, so mature human, you know, playing this game, wow. like, let's not die. But, uh, yeah. no, it's definitely infuriating, especially as a defender, I feel like, because a lot of the times um, penalties occur more on defense if you're a very um, undisciplined offense. But it can really, like, sway, like, the momentum and, and like, the lead of a game and all that. So it, they definitely need to tighten it up. 
for sure. For sure. Yeah. What do we got on in the NFC side over there, Faith? Yes, some NFC news. Um, I'm going to speak a little bit more just about the fact that today was the NFL trade deadline at 4 p.m. Um, and so there were plenty of last minute moves, um, but there's a few that are just really worth noting. And I think each one gets more and more important as I go down this list. Um, Giants traded pro bowler um, defensive lineman Leonard William to the Seahawks in exchange for a 2024 draft pick and a 2025 draft pick. Um, basically he had a three-year deal with the Giants um, and they will be paying portion of his uh, remaining compensation while the trade is being finalized. I assume that ended today. Um, mm -hmm. But yes, he is now in the Seahawks. Um, Commanders traded uh, Montez Sweat to the Bears for a 2024 second round pick. Um, he was in the last year of his contract. Um, Commanders also traded away uh, defensive end Chase Young, as we mentioned a little bit earlier, um, to the 49ers um, for, I believe, what was the 2024, 2024 draft pick. Um, that was crazy. I, I, the Commanders trading both of them away was a bold move in my decision, but it seems yeah. that they are making it clear that they are looking to the draft. And while they still you know, have a lot of games left to play. It seems like they are looking to stack those draft picks uh, immediately, which is crazy. Um, and Cardinals traded quarterback Joshua Dobbs to the Vikings, who, as we know, and we'll talk more about, are in a quarterback uh, situation, we'll say, now with Kirk Cousins being injured. Um, and so for the Cardinals, though, that means that Clayton Toon is the only quarterback on the 53-man roster who I have never heard of, so... That's uh, those are the trade news across the league. Do you guys have any thoughts on the commanders' moves? I mean, they they feel like they were getting rid of everybody today. Yeah, I think it's tough to be in the locker room. I'm sure when you see some of your best players get traded away, it's kind of saying like, okay, whether you're implicitly saying it or not, like, okay, we're moving on from this this season, and they're still, you know, we're just at the halfway point of the season, so. Don't love that. I, you know, as far as Josh Jobs going to the Vikings, I think that seems like a good option, actually. I, I apologize. I don't even remember the name of the backup that the Vikings had that wasn't Kirk Cousins. So um, it doesn't Jaren matter. Jaron Hall. There you go. Jaron Hall. There you go. No shade on him, but having somebody who has a little bit more experience, which Josh Jobs got this season, I think is is will be good for the Vikings. I'm sure that locker room will rally around him, as will Kirk Cousins, I'm sure, help him get up to speed. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, all right. Yeah. <laughs> Chase is an interesting one to trade away. Yeah, you know what would be so weird if you could have trades in the WFA. But obviously, we play, I don't even want to get into on this tangent. But don't say that. I would. <laughs> well, you couldn't because people all have jobs and lives, and and there's no money and well, yes. so you just can't do it. But um, anyway, back to AFC. Could you imagine? Uh, anyway. It would make things more interesting. I think. To be honest with you, I, a little bit more. There's no chance I could handle that emotionally. There's no way. <laughs> See you guys. I'd be the worst enemy. All right. Just kidding. Renegade for life. Okay. Uh, back to the uh -huh. AFCA. There's two playmakers who didn't get traded who I just wanted to sh give a shout out to. One was Will Levis on the Tennessee Titans, baby. His first game, yes. he led the Titans to 28-23 victory over the Falcons, and he had four touchdown passes in his first game in the NFL. If you remember, Crazy. he was like, it went way later in the draft than he thought. Like, to yeah. me, this is just amazing, like, story for him. He dealt with that, whether it's embarrassment or just that experience of going a little bit later than he had to. He gets the opportunity. He comes in, throws four TDs, 
three of which were to DeAndre Hopkins, who has he, he said, yeah, I just like yeah, I love yeah. it. <laughs> I, I, I think that DeAndre Hopkins was just like, yeah. hey there, young rookie, throw the ball up, and I'm gonna get it, and yep. it worked. I don't know if that's actual Magic. conversation that happened, but whatever. I love it. <laughs> I hope it um, is. And Levis said after the game, this is a dream come true for sure. I dreamed of this moment as a kid, and to get a win is incredible, but we have a few few more minutes to celebrate it today, then we're on to Pittsburgh, as Vrabel would say, which is a very New England thing to say. Uh, so mm-hmm. I love that for Will Levis. I was, like, super pumped for him. There was a picture of him, like, going up to his family in the sidelines and just embracing them in a big hug, and I love that. Again, we talk about the human element, and for him to go out there and have that game as his first game was exciting. And I'm sure if you're a Titans fan, a little shot in the arm too. I think they're thinking that could be their their guy out there in Tennessee. And then the other player in the AFC to look at, Tyreek Hill. I know I mention him every week, but he had 112 yards versus the Pats and now has 1,014 yards, the most receiving yards by a single player through a team's first eight games in the Super Bowl era. And he has now has 2,000. 724 receiving yards in 25 games since joining Miami last year, which is the most receiving yards in the first 25 games with the team in a Super Bowl era. So he went to Miami and is just doing what he's supposed to be doing. He said, it feels great. God is great. I've been calling Hmm. my shot since I came in this league. A lot of people doubted me saying I couldn't do this and do that, but it's all about believing in yourself. So Tyreek Hill just going out there and balling. I know I said two players, but also Jalen Ramsey back in that game, coming off of his surgery. Uh-huh. Just, Mike McDaniels yep. had a very funny quote. He said, yes. he totally disappointed me. He called that he was going to have a pick six, not a pick field a pick goal, because he picked off that and <laughs> so didn't get good. it to the end zone. But I did laugh, so Jalen Ramsey, another shout-out. But a couple big studs in the AFC. Um, good for that. Love it. Yes. I thought it was interesting that, like, Obviously, with the draft, they kept showing Will Levis because he fell a lot further than he was supposed to. And going even more into the human side of it, um, a lot of people on Twitter were talking about, like, his girlfriend that was sitting there and how, like, upset she looked and, like, she was sitting there. And then I saw something on, I think, TikTok where it was, like, a news article of them, like, reportedly breaking up and then him just, like, going off in this game. And I was like, you know what? I don't know what's happening in his love life, but I'm happy for him that he got his opportunity. Um definitely a good way to kind of say F you to all the guys that passed him. You know, mm-hmm. I feel like mm-hmm. that was a good Seriously. game for him. Um, so talking about the thing that is making me so sad, so sad this week, Kirk Cousins had his Achilles, uh, injured his Achilles uh, in this past game. I thought this was interesting. Um, he actually, so he was having the best season of his career um, he was ranked third in the NFL in passer rating, third in yards, and third in touchdown passes. Um, and even just in this game versus Green Bay, like his command of the offense, like you could see he was comfortable in it. Like I know in the Netflix series, in the quarterback series, like he talked about how like he wasn't comfortable in this new offense with their new coach and everything. But like you could just tell like he was comfortable. He knew what he was doing. And I mean, they were up, you know, 24 10 as the final score of the game. Um, TJ Hawkinson um, was at a loss for words in the locker room after this game. Cause of course, like you get the win, but like, you know, this is ultimately a loss for your team um, in the sense of losing cousins. He said, it's super tough. I don't know. There's nothing really I can say. I love Kirk to death. I love his family. I love him. I love everything about him. Me too, TJ, me too. And I have 
face. I am so sad because I just feel like he was finally really getting his moment. He was stepping up to the plate. They were winning these big games. Like everything was just kind of going right. You know, start, like we had so much hype around the Vikings going into the season and they had such a slow start and they were finally picking things up. And it was like, everything was going right. And then this happens. Um, hopefully he will be making as speedy as a comeback as Aaron Rodgers. I assume he has the same resources. Um, and I, I know he obviously wants to get back out there. I saw Aaron today talking and he said he already talked to Kirk and was giving him all his like updates and his progress and advice for him. So hopefully they'll get their Achilles factory going and, and he'll get right as well. <laughs> Good. Cause they have rookie Jaron Hall, who was a fifth rounder out of BYU, who according to their head coach will be starting on Sunday. Um, so until Josh Dobbs gets rolling. Yeah. Until he shows up to the building tomorrow <laughs> and they're like, all right, well, Never mind. Yeah, exactly. All right, back to the AFC. This is not a real segment, but just wanted to make note of the dud game of the week. I have to say was the Jets-Giants, which was just brutal. The Jets beat the Giants 13-10. The most impressive thing in that game was probably Aaron Rodgers throwing the ball (laughs) a couple like dropbacks before the game. But uh, there were 24 total punts in that game. Which was good more, day for punters. More punts than points scored. There's only 23 points scored. Yeah, great day for punters, <laughs> I guess, to prove your worth. Uh, the Giants had seven total passing yards off six completions, which was the fifth fewest by any team in a game since 1970. That is I didn't realize that. bad. Saquon Barkley did have a decent game. He had 128 rushing yards on 36 carries, but that's not enough. You need a balanced attack. They barely had any attack. So just brutal. Good job to the Jets coming back. Zach Wilson did make like two really great throws at the end of regulation to get them to have that field goal to go into overtime. So kudos to Zach for that. I was like very impressed by those two throws. But all in all, that game was not the most impressive thing unless you are a punter. You know what? They have to have their moment, right? I guess so. Punters need love too. Yes. Ash will appreciate that comment. Yes. (laughs) Oh, yes. Yeah, definitely dead game of the week. Um, One thing I want to talk about, we asked this this question earlier about the 49ers. Um, This point for me is just, are the 49ers as good as we think? Maybe, maybe not, whatever. But first and foremost, like, I want to just give a shout out to the Bengals, um, I think I told a lot of people prior to their game that the 49ers should just like to beat the Bengals. I didn't think it was going to be that close of a game. I didn't see the Bengals coming out on top. Um, I was wrong, but you know, it's fine. Um, Joe Burrow really, I think is just hitting his stride. Um, He really said early on, like they didn't want to panic with the early losses and everything. Like they were just, there's a long season ahead. They had a lot of room to grow. Um, I almost was like annoyed with how casual he was being about it, but Sure enough, um, they completely have just kind of turned their season around after starting one and three, and now they've just won three straight. Um, Burrow was 28 for 32 for 283 yards, three touchdowns to three different receivers, no interceptions. Maybe I'm previewing Al's stud of the week. Um, Don't know, but just an amazing day for him. The 49ers um, were riding on an 11 uh, straight home game win streak prior to Sunday's loss, but Purdy is just kind of looking shaken up at this point. I think um, he threw two very costly interceptions, um, which is the second game that he has done that. Um, 
Their defense allowed the season their season highest amount of points scored on them, which was 31. And overall, just all three phases did not look like they were in sync um, for the 49ers. And speaking specifically about Purdy, like I feel like we're just seeing him be human. Like as funny and as like silly as that sounds, like because he was Mr. Irrelevant and then he had this like major like, you know, comeback story kind of thing. And then like aside from injuries, probably could have taken the 49ers to the Super Bowl. But um, now it's like he's got these multiple games with interceptions and it's like we have to kind of like take him off the pedestal again and remember like, okay, he's like, you know, he's human. Um, But I think that is because they haven't had Debo Samuel, which has been their number one kind of wide receiver, South Carolina guy. So I'm a big fan of him. Obviously, he's been out. Um, Hopefully, he'll be returning soon. He's been wrestling with that hairline fracture in his shoulder. Um, But I thought this was crazy. With Samuel, Purdy's passer rating is 121. Without Samuel, it's 82.7. That is a 40-point drop because of one guy missing. And when you consider the fact that, like, Stephen A. made this point um, on ESPN, he said... You know, you have Shanahan at head coach. You've got McCaffrey, you have Kittle, you have Ayuk. Like, if those aren't enough for Purdy to get the job done, then Purdy's the problem. And I feel like that's a little bit harsh. Like, you know, things happen, like interceptions happen, like there's bounce back games, all that stuff. But they have their bye week now, and I just I know Kyle Shanahan is going to use this week off to hopefully give Samuel enough time to come back because he's not out for the season. Um, maybe we'll see him back after the bye week, but like this is an issue. And like, if you can't like the Patriots don't necessarily have some of these weapons, but Mac was still able to find ways to win, you know, against the bills specifically, just go look at that one game, not anything else. Um, But I think that's a red flag that we have to address is like, you have weapons, like you're not without weapons. You have stellar weapons, like something has to get fixed after the bye week Yeah. So I, I have to say that they have dropped in my KFAL power rankings because <gasps> coming off, like I said, they lost the last three and they have so many weapons and Brock Purdy, like you said, he's human. I think that he's still capable of doing the job with or without Debo Samuel. I think they're the buy is in the right time for them because they need to figure some stuff out. Um, I wasn't necessarily shocked that the Bengals won. I think the Bengals, like you said, are hitting their side. Joe Burrow played awesome. I also have in my notes, like, is he going to be the stud of the week? It would not shock me because he seemed to be his old form. Also in that game, Jamar Chase um, had 100 yards on 10 catches. He had a sweet backflip. Joe Mixon got rolling. And so the Bengals look really good. So I'm not to take away from them, but I just think that uh, I think the 49ers have some figuring out to do. After the game, Shanahan said, I do believe we have the answers in our building. I believe we have a good players. I believe we have good coaches. It's up to me to get them to do better. So he, like you saying, it's like he thinks that they have the weapons in-house and that they're going to kind of flip that switch and get and write that ship. And like I said, kind of at the beginning, I think there's a lot of teams who at the beginning of the season, we said, man, who can beat these guys? And you know what? Well, the Broncos beat the Chiefs. Like all of these teams have yeah. some chinks in their armor, including the Niners. And I think that, you know, Shanahan believes they can kind of write that ship. I have a question for you, GI. If you think about your football career, has there ever been a, t- a time where your team or your defensive unit or whatever has been in a little bit of slump? Um, even though you feel like, okay, we have the pieces, but we're just not clicking the way that we need to. Um, and if you have ever been in that type of slump, what did you do or what did your coaches have you guys do or you as a team do to kind of get out of that slump? 
Yeah, I mean, definitely. Um, I can think back to the inaugural season of the Renegades um, in 2015. We were not actually as uh, high-powered, I guess you could say, as we are now. Um, it was difficult times. And then even still in, like, the 2017 Super Bowl, defense had a, like, like a hard time um, trying to keep their offense from scoring. And sometimes you just got to remember um, – go back to your basics and like sometimes it just you just need to all like at the collectively take a breath not like a couple mm -hmm. people who come down and you know everyone needs to come together refocus um and try to just see where the the weakness is in defense and like slowly just start building those blocks back up yeah i love that back to basics taking a breath regrouping you should get on a phone call with Shanahan and the Niners and give them some, this advice. I mean, I hey. Right. <laughs> hey. You can be a consultant for them. Hey, yeah, I mean, I'm only yeah. a phone call away. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, so, um, Faith, that was my, my prediction or game that I looked at last week was the Bengals 49ers. So we just kind of covered that. But again, Bengals look great. Niners have work to do. Faith, what game did you talk about last week? Yes, so... I want to talk about how the Panthers got their first win. I, <laughs> you have the battle of the top two draft picks. Um, not if the Jets Giants was like the dud game of the week, I would argue this was like right there with it. You had a 15 to 13 final score um, for the victory with the now one and six Carolina Panthers. I called it. I'm here for it. I love to see it. Um, so we've been praising CJ Stroud for this incredible rookie season that he's been having. I think he still deserves all the praise. He's been playing lights out, especially for a rookie coming into the league and working with an offensive line that has just struggled with injuries. And just like, we joke that we they found him, the guys in Walmart. Like he's been making something out of nothing. Still deserves all the praise, but obviously Sunday was not quite his day. Um, the Panthers defense has been ranked in the bottom five of the league. I mean, obviously, they went 0-6. So, like, obviously, their defense has been, you know, letting everyone kind of run all over them. But C.J. Stroud was just not able to get it done on Sunday against their defense. Um, and on the other side, I mean, Bryce Young spent the entire day running for his life. Like, he was sacked six times, not to mention the nine tackles for loss, 10 QB hits. Like, he was getting pressured like crazy, literally running for his life, um, which I think is why it was such a low-scoring game. Um but despite the pressure, Young got his first career win um, with major help of Adam Thielen, um, who had eight receptions for 72 yards. Um, that was his sixth consecutive game with seven or more receptions, which is the longest streak for a wide receiver in Panthers history, which is <laughs> exciting. <laughs> we have a new guest <laughs> who looks absolutely amazing. Um I don't even know where to go from here. I mean, you to, can I'm finish up your chatting this. about the Panthers' big, big W here. Okay, <laughs> just look at my notes. Uh, so, um, anyway, <laughs> moving on. Um, so, obviously, Young has heard a lot of outside noise, um, probably because of the fact that, you know, the Panthers did so much to get the first-round draft pick, and then they get him, they start 0-6. So, I know that he's probably heard a lot of that um, when they could have had CJ Stroud, but I think Young was able to hush those rumors a bit just in the fourth quarter alone. Um, you know, they were able to, when they were, it was such a close game, 
uh, Young was able to just move the Panthers 86 yards, 15 plays to set up the game-winning field goal. Um, first victory of the season. Um, Young said, you love opportunities like that. You go in, have a chance to end the game on your terms and just take the game. Um, you know, you're down by one. What else could you hope for? That's what you play for. So congrats to the Carolina Panthers for getting their first win. Bryce Young having his first career win as an NFL quarterback. Now the more important thing. (laughs) From someone getting their first win as a quarterback in the NFL to somebody who's had a lot of wins in the WFA, we have joining us the one, the only, Allison Cahill. Hey. And Allison Cahill is looking good. It's Halloween, but I just think this is her Tuesday night garb. She's got a side pony. She's got neon everywhere. She's looking pink eyeshadow. I think she's shimmery. It's hard to tell. Can you just give us a shake? Yep. Good for nice. She's shimmery. And she is here. Feeling joining good. us with GI for defense and offense now. But we got a QB in the house for QB Corner, studs and duds with AC7. What do you got for us, Al? No surprises here. We got the studs and duds of the week. I love it. Nice. Following nice. tradition, starting with the duds, yes? I'm, yes? I prefer starting with the dud, yes. Okay. Well, I was given some unsolicited advice from a listener that I should Eric. build the <laughs> dud of the week suspense like I do the stud of the week. I'm definitely not taking that advice, but... Okay. Yeah, I don't take I, advice either, so that's great. That's yeah. Great. But I'm going to talk about an all-important statistic before I announce this week's stud. And you know I'm not big on statistics generally, but this one continues to stand out when I do my little studs and duds of the week research. So QB rating. Nobody really knows what it is or where it comes from. No Let's clue. just toss out QBR because it's I a reference it all the time. I'm like, I don't even know what this number means. I know higher is no. better. I referenced it earlier. Yes. Did you look up the formula? I it's did, but no. I, math and me aren't, aren't really like best and, Yeah, not good for podcasts. So, however, <laughs> it is based on four metrics I learned today. Completion percentage, yards per passing attempt, touchdown percentage, and interception percentage. So... Of the top 10 leaders in QB rating for week eight, nine of the top 10 led their teams to a win. Pretty significant. Only Sam Howell, who came in ninth in QB rating, didn't come away with the win. Commanders lost by a touchdown to arguably the best team in the league in the Philadelphia Eagles. Of the bottom 10 QBs in rating for week eight, Only three of those QBs were able to overcome a statistically poor performance and get a win. One of them was Jaron Hall, who came in after Kirk Cousins' injury and only threw four passes. So we're just going to throw him out. Katie, I feel like you're about to burst out laughing. (laughs) And I don't think it's the content. I don't think QB rating is that QBR makes me giggle. It's just <laughs> right. okay. Okay. It's I swear. Okay, so we've thrown out Jaron Hall because he threw four passes. So that leaves two yeah. out of ten quarterbacks in the bottom ratings for QBR. So one was Geno Smith, who led the Seahawks to a four-point win over a great Cleveland defense. And the other was Zach Wilson, 
whose Jets somehow came away with a 13-10 overtime victory over the Giants. I just called that my doubt of the week game. Yeah, yeah. It was basically a punting contest. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Go punters! All right? Yes. So it (laughs) seems a QB rating, which no one actually understands the math behind, is a pretty key metric towards whether your team wins or loses. So my QB dud this week is a guy whose performance not only didn't pass the eyeball test, he had a dismal QB rating to verify it. But first, building suspense. I had a runner-up this week until late in the weekend. And I'm going to just say it because it's a shocker. Patrick Mahomes. Mm. The flu. He had the flu. (laughs) Okay. No excuses. So he went no valid, no excuses. 24 for 38 with 241 yards, zero touchdowns, two interceptions, one fumble, and a 59.2 rating. To put that number in perspective, Jalen Hurts led the week eight QBs with a 135.8 rating. Side note, a perfect QB rating is 158.3, obviously. Again, no one understands the math. Obviously. Mahomes didn't even make the top 30 list coming in behind much maligned QBs, Mac Jones, Desmond Ritter, Zach Wilson, Joshua Dobbs, Gardner Minshew, and Kenny Pickett. And Mahomes turned in that stinker against a bad Denver defense who ranks last in the league in yards per game and is a bottom five to six in most other significant defensive statistical categories. But apparently he had the flu, so I guess we'll give him a pass. Someone was worse. Let's hear it. Or or keep building the suspense. No, no. We're here. We've arrived. <laughs> time? The okay. actual dud yes. of the week. This QB went 10 for 21. That math is not hard. It's less than 50%, 48 to be exact. 126 yards, zero touchdowns, and one interception for a rating of 46.9 Ooh, in a 26 to 14 loss to the Detroit Lions. It's everyone's favorite former QB2, Jimmy Garoppolo. Oof, man. Mm. Good looks can only uh, take you so far. Can I, just, <laughs> can I just say, it looked like he was getting abused in that game. He was, their offensive line let him down. I think he still counts for sure as the dud, but it looked like he was being abused that whole yeah, game. You're not wrong. I think he took like six sacks, maybe. But it wasn't yeah. just the stats. I mean, he was missing throws by a mile. He had Devontae Adams wide open on multiple occasions, and he just blew the throws. Faith, I think you could have volleyball bumped the ball uh, (laughs) to Devontae and gotten closer than Jimmy G. And Devontae Adams doesn't even need to be open. He's so good. Just put it in the vicinity, and good things are going to happen. But he and Jimmy only managed to connect on one catch for 11 yards on seven targets. Adams was visibly frustrated, slamming his helmet on the sidelines, and was at a loss for words after the game. People are now wondering if Josh McDaniels is on the hot seat, proving that poor quarterback play has a negative trickle-down effect on the whole organization. Don't let that be your team. Mm-mm. Moving on? No. Yeah, that was pretty bad. Solid done. That was pretty bad. And... Um... You know, for Devonta Adams, I feel like he's like, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. And that was the stance he took after yeah. the game. <laughs> I mean, the guy went there to play with his best buddy and college quarterback, and then they shipped then, him out of town, and he's so left with, yeah. So yeah. Jimmy we're G. rooting for you, Jimmy Dead. G, to turn Dead it around. Week. 
but you can't leave the league in interceptions when you've missed a game and a half as well. Anyway. All right. This is a downer. Moving on. <laughs> I need a stud. Yeah. Let's get going here. Let's get right. a stud, baby. Right. I mean, feel free to cut the dud of the week part of the studs and duds if it's no, just too it's much like, negativity. No, that's life. There's highs and lows, ups and downs, studs about, and duds. We talked about Kirk Cousins' injury, so we've already been our, as low as we can go, so yeah. it's fine. Yeah. All right. So, stud of the week. As ever, first, let's review our mandatory, non-negotiable criteria for stud of the week. This week in forever, the team must win, and you as the quarterback must have committed zero turnovers. Only two quarterbacks out of the top 10 in yards for week eight were even eligible for stud of the week. Sam Howell led the league with 397 yards, and he threw four touchdowns, but his team lost. Ineligible. Jalen Hurts threw for 319 yards and also threw four touchdowns, and the Eagles won, but he lost a fumble. Ineligible. Dak Prescott threw for 300-plus yards and also threw four touchdowns, but he threw a pick. Ineligible. So, instead of the Week 8 yardage leaders, knowing what we now know about the correlation between QB rating and a team's chances of winning... I decided to look at the top 10 in that statistical category. That list gave us two additional quarterbacks who met the exacting criteria for start of the week for a total of four contenders. First, we have Kirk Cousins. I did want to give it to him for sentimental reasons, but I had to remind myself that start of the week is based on objective quarterback analysis, not feelings. Ooh, okay. And Cousins' numbers were great, but not quite as eye-popping as no the other guys <laughs> on the list. Then we have Justin Herbert. He had a great week, but he did it at home against the 2-6 and six Bears, who were starting a Division II quarterback, making his second ever start. And the Bears have a bottom five defense. Then we have young Mr. Will Levis. In his first ever start, the Newton, Massachusetts-born rookie threw four touchdowns and led the Titans to a win over the Falcons. But if you look at the highlights, DeAndre Hopkins was wide open on two of those touchdowns, one of which was an egregious offensive P.I., and then D-Hop did most of the work on a short one in the red zone. His last touchdown was a gorgeous pass, though, so I'll give him that. All to say... I just want to see more from Levis before we give him the nod. So those were three of the four top QBs who are eligible for stud of the week. That brings us to our winner. This QB went 28 for 32. That's 87.5 freaking percent for 283 yards with three touchdowns <laughs> for a 134.8 rating, good for second in the league behind the one fumble having Jalen Hurts, zero interceptions, zero fumbles, and one huge 31-17 to road win against the San Francisco 49ers and their fifth-ranked scoring defense with the other Joe Cool, that's Joe Montana, in the house. It's Joe Burrow. Joe Burrow. Hey. Both Faith and I Let's have go. in our notes. Is Joe Burrow going to be the stud of the week? We were right. Nice. Couldn't deny him. Couldn't deny Let's him. Let's go. He, yeah, and, he was great. you know, we know when Joe Burrow is healthy and on his game, the Bengals can compete with anyone. 
Sure looks like Cincy is hitting their stride, and no surprise that Joe Burrow is leading that turnaround. Once he hears nice. he's start of the week, I'm sure he's just going to be motivated to play that much better. So who Ted's knows what's to come. You're going to hype him up <laughs> too much. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yeah. That's all I got. Yeah, Joe oh. Burrow, I, it's nice to see him back to form. Like, you just knew something was off. Like, he was out there playing but couldn't move with his calf, this and the other thing. So, pumped. Joy B looked good. Bengals looked good. 49ers didn't look so good. No. What's that? You know who does look good? You know who does look good? You. Alice this outfit <laughs> is amazing. <laughs> Happy Halloween. Thank you. The belt awesome. is still in place. The leg warmers are still on doing their job. I'm feeling good. Feeling toned. Yeah, you look toned. Nice. It's all those small weights, high reps. <laughs> I love it. Al, yep. thank you so much. That was awesome. Studs and duds. Anything else to say before we let you go back to your aerobics? Just feel the burn. <laughs> feel the burn. Become the burn. Become the fire. Okay. Awesome. <laughs> Al, thank you so much. We're going to let you go and keep GI on here with Faith, and we'll just keep chit-chatting. Thanks so much, Al. We'll see you later. Appreciate it. See you guys. Bye. That fired oh me up. Gosh. Fired me up. That was amazing. <laughs> We called it. We knew it. It was great. <laughs> all right. Uh, she's- I was so distracted. There was like, it took all the brain energy to be like, what was I talking about? You Where got me I going in from? trouble with Al, Faith, because you were texting me and I was chuckling and she called me out. It's like when the teacher sees you laughing and you're like, so I want-. but I didn't rat you out, Faith. I didn't. I just kept uh, Okay. Well, she's going to listen and know yeah, now. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> all right. Uh, that was awesome. All right, we're going to get back to talking about um, our games of the week. I'm going to go over this pretty briefly, but this one obviously yeah. made me stop and watch. The Broncos beat the Chiefs? Yes, the Broncos beat the Chiefs for the huh. first time since September 17, 2015. And in that game, it was Peyton Manning and Alex Smith as quarterbacks. It had been 16 games since the Broncos beat the Chiefs. And... G.I., it was the Broncos' defense stepping up kind of out of nowhere. Yes. They had been historically yeah. bad. They got absolutely whooped earlier by the Dolphins. And um, they were ranked 31st in points allowed and 32nd in yards allowed, entering week out eight. But somehow they stopped the sixth-ranked scoring offense and Patrick Mahomes, like Al was just talking about. Um, so I have a question for you, G.I. They went from being so bad – to having this game yeah. where they just stopped Mahomes and the Chiefs, who I understand the Mahomes and the Chiefs like still are maybe figuring out some of their offense, but who cares? They're still really good. They're still the Chiefs. Yeah. Does it um does it sometimes just take like I know on the offensive side, sometimes it just takes a while for the offense to click and to figure out the playbook and figure out the timing. Is there any element on the of that on the defense where it's like the more that you play together and time goes by, like things can start to click and you can just start to elevate as a unit? Um, or is it, or maybe it's both, is it game planning that gets better? Like, what is it that can help you make that leap from being like really bad to being all of a sudden a team that can beat somebody like the Chiefs? Is it game planning? Is it personnel? Is it just taking the time to gel? I think it might be a a weird combination of all of it. Sometimes it might be more than one than the other. Um, I can definitely speak to like getting new players in and like, them sort of being a little bit behind the ball, you know, and you just got to, like, A, help them get to where the rest of the team is at, which could just be, like, miscommunication on, like, a couple of calls, right? Or it just literally is just, like, the meshing, like, timing and stuff. 
it doesn't seem like a lot of it happens on defense, but like even when it comes to like blitzing and right, like you can't all go at the same time. Or when you do, know where's you know who's going where and everything. So I think they finally like did get on the same page. They were all gelling and mixing pretty well. And maybe they the off uh, defensive coordinator just like realized like if I take this person and put them over here and put this person here, maybe that might work better. It could have just been taken some uh, experimenting to figure out what was going to be the, the key to success. Yeah, definitely. Putting people in a position to be successful and then kind of Absolutely. seeing how those pieces work together. So, yeah, I mean, in that game too, Kansas City lost the turnover battle 5-1. to one, So you can't win like that. This is really hard. You know, we've talked about this previously, if you're losing the turnover battle. So, you know... Russell Wilson and the Broncos, they did. They took advantage of the short field, and they got a win. I'm always like, hey, a win is a win. It doesn't have to be pretty necessarily, and I won't necessarily say that Russell Wilson and the Broncos' offense looked awesome, but the defense stepped up, and they took advantage of a Chiefs team that either maybe was looking past them and thought, hey, we beat them 16 times in a row. We're just going to keep rolling, or mm-hmm. what if, or Mahomes had Whatever the situation was, they won. That's all that matters. So Absolutely. I wanted to just love up the Broncos because – I think they get a lot of crap. Russ has gotten so much crap. Sean Payton, whether it's, you know, called or uncalled for, has gotten a lot of crap. So the Broncos beat the Chiefs. Just another example, like, that's why you have to play the game. You never know what's going to happen. I've talked about, like, three times, like, some of these teams at the top who we thought were unbeatable or they would only get beat by, like, another juggernaut. It just isn't proving to be true, and I love that to watch these games where it's, like, really, truly, any given Sunday, anything could happen, and this game was, like, a perfect example of that. No, I thought that was crazy. Like my my dad texted me and was like, "How about the Broncos?" And like just seeing the score, I think I checked in at like the third quarter. Like I could not believe what I was looking at. Um, I did think it was interesting, and you guys are gonna laugh at me for saying this, but um, the Broncos like they it was the home game for them, so they played Taylor Swift "Shake It Off" at the end of the game, which I thought was hilarious. I thought that was a great use of that song and the reference with you know Travis Kelsey and everything. Um. But the video that went viral was, like, panning through the stadium, and they're like, oh, they're playing Shake It Off. It was empty. Like, for considering what just happened, like, they just beat the Kansas City Chiefs. According to ESPN, it was a fully sold-out game with 76,000 people in it. There was, like, nobody in the stands. I was like, if this was, like, a Pats game and, like, the same thing had happened, like, let's just put the context here, like, that place would be rocking. Like, nobody left the Bills game. And I was like, where did all the fans go? Like, yep. you guys just beat the Kansas City Chiefs. Like, where did everyone go? I was impressed. Maybe they weren't. Or maybe it was cold there. Maybe they were just done. But, yeah, I did see, the, vi- I did see the video of them uh, playing that. And I was like, you know what? I think Travis Kelsey can handle that at this point. But did you see the picture of him on the sidelines where he just looked like he had just gotten, like, beaten up and his best friend had just, like, moved away and his dog had died? And, like, he just looked so sad. And, um Maybe a wake-up call for them. Like, I'm not saying that they looked at the Broncos and thought, you know, hey, we don't need to prep or this is an easy game, but I think sometimes you can get lulled into that no matter even, like, at the highest levels, and maybe this was, like, a little wake-up call for the Chiefs. We will see. Yes. Faith, what was your game that made you stop and watch last week? So my game was Cowboys-Rams. So the now 5-2 and two Cowboys defeated the now 3-5 and five Rams 43 to 20 at SoFi. So this was a home game for the Rams. Um, 
And I think like something that I often say, and we often talk about when we refer to football is like playing complementary football, right? Like you want your offense, your defense, your special teams to be working together all for the common goal of getting the win um, and just finding success in those three phases. But this is truly the best example of this for the Cowboys. Like this was complementary football, like the definition. I mean, like at the end of the first, the Cowboys were up 10 to three going into halftime. They were up 26 to three and just like, listen to this series of events. I I could not believe like even reading this, doing the research later, like in a span of less than three minutes of game clock, the Cowboys up their lead to 26 to three scoring points on offense, defense, and special teams. Um, Deron Bland got the party started with his third pick six of the season, followed by a safety um, after Sam Williams blocked a punt out of the end zone. Then CeeDee Lamb caught two touchdown passes before the end of the half, um, the first coming following that safety. Um, and then you have a 63-yard uh, kick return. Like, it was like right before the half, like they just ran away with it. And I, I couldn't believe like listing all of that out. Like it was just such complimentary football um, for the Cowboys. Um, a little next gen stat for you guys. Um, Micah Parsons had a team high eight pressures, seven of which occurred in under 2.5 seconds. Um, he has now led or finished tied for the team um, leading in pressures in six of the seven games this season. Um I just think that was great. I know Ash was probably happy. Um, oh, yeah. Cowboys fans were happy with that win. That was just well-rounded football um, on all three phases. Um, and then, obviously, like whatever chances the Rams had of really keeping this game close were certainly hindered by Matthew Stafford injuring his thumb. It was kind of a minor thing in the first half and then got aggravated at the start of the second half. Um, and so... Obviously, that did play a factor, of course, in them kind of making it close. But when you're going into halftime down 26 to 3, it's a pretty hard thing to come back from, for sure. For sure. I like what you said about complementary football, offense, defense, special teams. It takes everybody. GI, you play defense. I play offense. But we both play special teams. And I think I know this about you. Right next to each other, actually. That you love special teams like I love special teams. And I think special teams sometimes can be like, People don't want to play it or they think they're too good for it or it doesn't matter. It's not important. Whereas, and I don't want to be putting words in your mouth, I but I think that you feel like I feel like it's an important part of the game and it can, you can really go make a difference on it and be a tone setter, whether you're Absolutely. a starter or this is your only time on the field. Absolutely. If you agree with that, what is it that you love about special teams or why do you think special teams is important? You know, we always talk about offense. We always talk about defense. And sometimes special teams, unless you're talking to Cliff, gets totally neglected. But I think <laughs> it is important. Why do you think it's important? Um, and what is it that you love about special teams? Oh, Cliffy. Um, so <laughs> what I love about special teams is it gives you the opportunity to showcase your skills. Right? Like, speaking for myself, like, when all those years when I was still first starting, I never, like, saw field time but I saw special teams field time mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. I got better that way. And I got better that way. And honestly, um, I was scrolling through Instagram earlier and I saw Julian Edelman's first TD. I think it was actually from like a while back, but it just populated for me. So he literally ran, I think it was a 63 yard touchdown from like a special teams play like anything can happen on special teams. It also is like a um, 
like a tide turner, like it changes the momentum of games, you know, like it's just one of those things that I feel like I sound like Cliff right now, (laughs) you know, I'm, yes. Um, (laughs) And they matter. Uh, They always matter. So even if it's like small details, you know, it gives you the opportunity to hone your skills and get better as a player. um, If you're not seeing field time, that's one reason I love it. You know, everything else is just, same. And I think it's like an opportunity to go out there, like you said, like on a personal level, like just as a player trying to like prove yourself. And even in the NFL, you see that and you see these guys like just busting and trying to like do their part to either make the team or make an impact. And I love that. But I also think, you know, from a purely football standpoint, a lot of times people don't realize special teams until it goes horribly, horribly wrong. You know, so like yeah. you're saying, like yes. it's all of these details, but you just take it for granted unless you see a team who can't execute on it. So yeah, I think it's kind of a overlooked piece of piece of the pie, and I love being out there with you on special teams, GI. <laughs> I love being out there with Ooh. you too, Katie. All right. Well, Cliff told me that he's an avid listener, so he's going to appreciate this uh, shout out. Hi, I love Cliff. you, Cliff. <laughs> All right, moving on to Playmaker of the Week. I didn't choose a special teamer, although there's some punters who could have been eligible based on the number Honestly. of punts they yeah. did. But um, my Playmaker of the Week. Not shocking, a running back, Travis Etienne. Um, he became the first Jaguars player with 70-plus rushing yards and 70-plus receiving yards in a game since Maurice Jones-Drew did it in Week 13 of the 2011 season. He had 79 carries on 24. I'm sorry, he had 79 yards on 24 carries. Again, he had that 56-yard uh, touchdown reception in the third quarter. And I think he's kind of sneakily having a really good season. Like I said, maybe I haven't been paying enough attention to the um jaguars down there and they have a great record again they're six and two they're doing what they need to do trevor lawrence is doing his thing and i think travis Etienne is just helping pushing that offense along and he's looking like a playmaker out there absolutely it's funny I, when i started picking mine i also picked a running back at first then i was like ah, i should have known Katie was <laughs> gonna pick one um my playmaker there's really no surprise here we mentioned him earlier mr aj brown the Philadelphia Eagles. He was eight for eight, 130 yards, averaging 16.3 yards of reception, longest being 25 yards. He had two touchdowns, arguably had the catch of the year. Oh, that was amazing. So far, I mean, we'll see if anything can top it, but that one-handed catch in the end zone right before the half, unreal. Sports Center, top play. Just amazing, you know, athleticism by A.J. Brown. Um, and I think it's interesting, like the Eagles were down three to 14 with 30 seconds left in the half. So that score was important to keep them in it. Um, they were able to score, you know, it ended up being 10 to 17 at the half, but just to keep them in the game, like the momentum shift, just the energy, the excitement around that, like outstanding play, outstanding day for him. Crazy season so far. He's had 60 receptions, 939 yards. So he's averaging 15.6 yards a reception and has five touchdowns. So that is a playmaker to me, for sure. Amen. No defensive players, unless you have one GI. Honestly, not this week that, like, fully impressed me to, like, the level. Like, I was honestly thinking A.J. Brown, too, um, just from, like, week to week. Um, And, like, yeah, it was bouncing, honestly, back and forth between those two. There was uh, – I can't remember his last name. Jameer, I think, from the – Gibbs. The Lions. Yes. Yes. He was like a contender too. Yes. Lions running back. Yeah. um, Oh, he should have been mine too. Well, he's, 
He went off. Yeah. He did. Yeah, he went off. He and and like I know the Detroit Lions fans have been like really being like, okay, why isn't he getting more touches? Like he's a baller and yes. he got more touches. I think he had like eight touches on the opening drive or something like that. And like yep. he just took advantage of it. So good. He constantly had the ball. Great call <laughs> GI. Like I said, I was it. stuck between like him and then the two guys you guys picked. I was like, God damn, like who do I pick now? So um between your two picks and yeah. then him i think that's a well-rounded group yeah i actually had aj brown and then i was like he's not in the afc i can't pick him <laughs> uh but i had him written down because yeah. that catch i'll take him that catch was a playmaker catch so aj brown like and again yeah. just all season it's not one play it's not one game he's just having quite the season so i love it selling of the week yep. here we go oof there was some good ones. Um, Joe Mixon just like grooving was really, really good. I wish so badly I could move like that to recreate it, but <laughs> I can't. But I might work on it. Um, but my actual celly of the week was Mostert and Tyreek Kill. They did that speed walking where they lined up and then like Tyreek <laughs> pretended he pulled the hammy. And it made me LOL. I thought it was so funny. And I was just like imagining them practicing it and I just love that. And, like, they were, like, smiling and giggling. So, Sally of the Week, Hill and Mostert, speed walking competition in the end zone, Tyreek Hill going down with the hammy pole. Hill was also really funny when he, because he's been getting in trouble for these celebrations, yeah. when he, like, scored, went straight to the bench and was like, I'm not getting fined. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I didn't do anything. Like, yeah, was I, I want to see you recreate the speed walking and definitely the grooving tomorrow at the gym. We will I see. see both I'm going to need more practice before I dance <laughs> like that. You just need a Celsius, you'll be fine. Oh, yeah, or two. All right, what do we got for photographer's perspective, Faith? Okay, so I have a winner, but I think there was three that I really wanted to shout out, and I wanted to hear you guys' opinion on this, because you know what? It's not just my opinion. It's the consumer's opinion. Like, you're seeing this content, and if you didn't see it, I put the link here, so you you had to see it. Um, But there were three pieces of content that I just wanted to shout out um, for different reasons. So I'll pitch them both, all three, and then see what you guys think. Um, Obviously, the Broncos beat the Chiefs. They posted a classic, just hushing all the ESPN analysts. Of course, everyone picked the Chiefs to win. Um, Had the Kermit the Frog, sipping the tea. You know, not much needs to be said. Obviously, that was hilarious. I know Broncos fans probably enjoyed that. Um, A subtle way of just being like, you doubted us. You know, perfect. So that's the first option. Um, the Atlanta Falcons also have this lifestyle Instagram that I wanted to talk about for a second. I just think it's an interesting way to show more personalities of the players. Team accounts do that, of course, but they're also focused on the game and what's happening. But like this lifestyle account has like 100,000 followers and it's all for outfits and literally just lifestyle content completely. Um and they do these things called Sundays, which is literally just outfits of the game. And then they pick, you know, an outfit of the game specifically. Um, and I just think it's a really creative way to show, you know, the style of the players. I think the players really buy into it. Maybe I'll take some hints for the Boston Renegades <laughs> next season. Um, but I think it's really fun. I think their whole account is cool. Just I think if I was a Falcons fan, like I would enjoy seeing that side of players. Um but specifically, I wanted to talk about their Sunday's uh, little series on Instagram. And last but certainly not least, you had baby Mike McDaniel's Halloween costume. This was amazing. I love that in his press conference, Mike McDaniel's was like, I refuse to believe that's real. That didn't happen. Like, no way. Like, 
The way he was just like, there's no way someone's dressing up as me, but the kid absolutely killed it. Rushed the video's it. hilarious. Amazing. I feel like it's such a home run. But I wanted to hear you guys' thoughts on those pieces of content. And as people who don't work necessarily in content, like, but you're seeing it, what were your thoughts? Who do you think would be your winner of the week? The baby, the Mike McDaniels, the kid dressing up like him and like running, like, oh, so classic. So that would be like, my that I just, that was my favorite from a, like, who's putting out the content. I really did enjoy that the Denver Broncos were did like that kind of like hush, like everybody else picked them. I just thought that kind of like cheeky energy uh, from the team itself was funny. But the McDaniels, the kid dressing up as Mike McDaniels is classic. I love that. Definitely. Yes. I would definitely have to agree with Katie with the baby Mike Daniels, but um, I definitely appreciate, I think, the lifestyle. Uh, it's definitely cool to see that side of a team, you know. Yeah, I don't know, Faith, if people would really be interested in me in my sweatsito every week, <laughs> walking up to the game in my I am. shorts and t-shirt, but, you know, maybe, maybe we can do a test run of that. I- I think we're going to make uh, make some adjustments to our game day content and figure out a way to incorporate that. <laughs> um, yeah, the baby Mike McDaniels was hilarious. I didn't shout them out, but did you guys see what the Chargers posted um, yes. about they like, beat the Bears? And yep. it was like this scene from uh, something. I don't know what it was from, but it was like offense. And it was like, I did my part. Defense, I did my part. Special teams, I did my part. And then it was like it cut and it had put the Bears like over this guy. And he's like... I didn't do anything to make that clean. Um, I thought that was hilarious. We, you know, is it tasteful? I don't know, whatever, but it was funny for sure. So, oh, they would definitely drop in shades. Definitely. Yes. I fear what will happen if they beat the pets. I wonder what they will do to us. (laughs) I'm just going to like unfollow for that week so I don't see it. That's fine. I wouldn't have faith that the Patriots win. Yes. Yes. We'll see. <laughs> All right. Looking towards next week. Hard to believe. We're more than basically. I believe someone said halftime of this game is halfway through the season. So looking towards next week, what games are we wow. excited for? I couldn't choose one. There are three games I'm excited <laughs> for. The Dolphins versus. You took all the good ones. At the first. Dolphins <laughs> versus the Chiefs, which is where are they? Germany? Where are they this week? Yes, Somewhere not in America. In Germany. Yes. yes. Dolphins versus Chiefs. Can't wait for that. Chiefs coming off that loss. The Dolphins roll in. Then the Seahawks, Ravens. I'm also excited for because I want to see if the Ravens can kind of keep doing what they're doing. I have more of an eye on them now. I'm paying a little bit more attention to the Ravens. So I'm excited to see what they do against Geno and the Seahawks. And Bills, Bengals. Come on, man. How could you not be excited for Bills, Bengals? So. I apologize. I didn't choose a game. I was looking at the schedule and I was like, oh, I got to clear my schedule on Sunday. Luckily, I don't have a life. So it was cleared. I'm watching football starting at 9 a.m. Sunday morning when the Dolphins Chiefs are on and we're just going to roll all day. I love it. Yeah, I was looking and I was like, oh, well, she picked that one. Oh, and that one. And that one. All right. What's my what's a fourth option I can bring up here? Um, but I am very excited for Cowboys Eagles. I feel like this is a classic rivalry matchup but there is a lot riding on this game um you got the five and two dallas cowboys traveling to the link they're going to play at the philadelphia eagles who are seven and one um DraftKings has the eagles as a three-point favorite at home i feel like the home team always kind of gets that little bit advantage too 
Um, but this is actually the first time that Jalen Hurts is playing against uh, Dak Prescott since 2021. Um, there were some injuries in their previous matchup, so this is the first time the two starting franchise quarterbacks are going against each other. Um, and arguably, this is the Eagles' most important game of the season thus far. So if the Eagles win... They're eight and one. Their top, their you know, their top rival is now five and three, being the Cowboys, um, which is a nice cushion for Philly. Like being eight and one, that's a solid spot for them. I feel like the NFC is starting to get very close mm-hmm. with these records, so that would be a good cushion for them. If the Cowboys win, that's six and three. Um, you know, they'll be six and three. The Eagles will be seven and two going into their bye week, and the Cowboys could actually take this top spot in the NFC with a win over the Giants in Week Ten while the Eagles are stuck at home on their bye week. So not that necessarily it makes that much of a difference now because as the season goes on, that leaderboard can change, but they could lose their top spot if they lose this game and then the Cowboys beat the Giants. So definitely important, a rivalry game. It'll be intense. I am excited to watch it. I'm also excited for the three that you mentioned, but the Cowboys-Eagles should be good for sure. Yeah, all these games, I feel like there's like an exciting slate this weekend, so it'll be fun to watch. And, Faith, do you have faith in any teams, underdog teams? Where do we got to have faith this week? Uh, Give it to us here. Yes. So, um, this was a tough week because I feel like a lot of these games were really evenly matched. Like, usually the Dolphins and the Chiefs, like, have been playing other teams, so you can kind of see the underdog and stuff. But I feel like in this week, there's a lot of very evenly matched games. Um, so I'm not entirely sure they're hundred percent an underdog, but I am going to take the Seattle Seahawks over the Baltimore Ravens. My score prediction is 21 to 20. Cause Ooh. I think this will be a very, very, very close game. Oh, that would be I awesome think. if that game was that tight. Yes. I I'm hoping for it. We'll see. I mean, I think you've been hyping up the Ravens today and I think they deserve all the hype they are playing. Amazing. Lamar Jackson is being Lamar Jackson. I do think the Ravens are the favorite in this matchup, even though the Seattle Seahawks have been playing good. But here's my logic. Okay, so they're both currently leading their divisions, you know, respectively. Um, But the Seattle Seahawks are traveling across the country, and they're slated as, you know, the underdog to, obviously, Lamar Jackson and the Ravens. Um, But I also would just, like, love to get a pulse check on a true Seahawks fan because if you look at all these games, like they've all been really close, which I think is why I think this game is going to be close. Like if yeah. Seattle pulls it off, it's not going to be like a Broncos Chiefs kind of situation. Like I, I was laughing. Um, Ted Zahn, I believe is how you say his name from SB Nation, um, who writes for about the Seattle Seahawks, said the Seattle Seahawks are fresh off their last minute win against the Cleveland Browns in those wonderful throwback uniforms. A victory that proved that Pete Carroll and the Seahawks. Um, try to give every fan a heart attack each week, no matter what threads they wear. So I think Seahawks fans in general have been going through some stressful games. Um, Ravens sitting at six and two playing lights out, obviously credit to Lamar Jackson, um, but also Gus Edwards had 19 rushing attempts Sunday against the Cardinals for 80 yards, three touchdowns. So they're playing amazing, um, which is more than double what he's had this season. So might be asking, why do I think the Seahawks really have a chance here? Um, the Seahawks are currently sixth in the league in rush defense. And if they're able to limit 
Gus Edwards and the Ravens rush game, I think it'll stay close. That, of course, is not accounting for the fact that Seattle is 21 in the league for their pass defense, and they are playing Lamar Jackson. But you got to have faith. And I'm picking the Seahawks as road winners, 21-20 over the Baltimore Ravens. Yeah, you never know. And I think any given Sunday. And I think the Seahawks are good. So that will be that will be another interesting game on Sunday. You gotta have faith. They say Seahawks over the Ravens. I love that. All right. As we look into next week, we're wrapping up here. GI, thank you so much for being on. It was awesome to hear your insights yeah. about special teams, about the army, about being twelve year football player on a Boston football team. It's absolutely awesome. You're someone that I look up to and I'm inspired by by just like your work ethic and attitude. So thank you so much for being on Playmaker's Perspective. Anything to say before we wrap up, GI? No, thank you guys for having me. It's been a blast. Uh, I'm just hoping for the Pats. Just hoping. That's all. Yes, we just hoping for the Pats. As always, always have faith in those guys. Um, thank you everybody so much for listening. Everybody who's Listen, God on board, join the Playmakers Perspective community and given us support. We really appreciate that. Tell your friends, let's keep it rolling. Faith, where can you listen, follow, and be part of the fun? Yes, as always, we post full episodes on Spotify and Apple Podcasts, and we are on Instagram at Playmakers Perspective, where we post all kinds of fun things, guest announcements, stories with questions, all kinds of fun clips from the episode. I bet we'll be seeing a lot of Al um, in the next coming days um, with her outfit, but definitely follow along, check out what's happening. We have exciting things in the works that we'll be posting on Instagram. So yes. And GI, thank you. This was awesome. You killed it. This was great. I, what a great episode. I love this. All right. Thanks everybody. We'll see you next week. Thank you.